Welcome to our latest episode of In The Know. My name is Nathan Munt. I'm a Chartered Financial Planner here at Lucas Fetters. Today, I'm joined by Josh Dunstone. Josh is a solicitor from Spire Solicitors, and uh, we're going to be speaking about lasting powers of attorney. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi, Nathan. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me to take part in this. Um, so my name is Josh Dunstone. I'm one of the solicitors at Spire Solicitors, and I deal with um, wills, trusts, lasting powers of attorney, tax planning, you know, probates, estates. I think later life planning is probably the best way of describing what I do. Um, but I know we're going to focus a bit more on, on lasting powers of attorney today. Yeah, so so naturally, I, I imagine, you know, from, as you've described it, later life, this is quite a common thing which you, you, you come across. And I guess it's probably best just to start with, for, for listeners, you know, what actually is a lasting power of attorney? Yeah, sure. And I think most people are aware of what a will is, and they understand that it comes into effect on their death. But one question that people often don't fully consider or hadn't thought of until I raise it with them is what happens if you lose capacity while you're still alive? Now, I'm talking about um, loss of capacity, which could be gradual, it could be uh, instantaneous. It's unlikely that it's going to happen overnight, but occasionally incidents such as a stroke could bring on a loss of capacity fairly suddenly. Um, and a power of attorney can protect against that risk. So the risk is that when you lose capacity, you can't then access um, your bank accounts, you can't deal with money. And an LPA is an extension of a power of attorney. So you may have heard of a power of attorney before. The basic concept is someone is naming another person, uh, X, Y, or Z, to act on their behalf, sign something for them. The issue with that is that when someone loses capacity, the power of attorney terminates. So then comes the concept of the lasting power of attorney. And that word lasting is very important because what that means is that the power of attorney, so the authority for someone to act on someone else's behalf, lasts beyond their loss of capacity. So, so it's it's important that you know if you are unable to make certain decisions for yourself, then the the question is ultimately who are who is going to make those decisions for you. So the the real question mark there is well, why should I make one? You know, is is that something which reverts to your your husband or your wife um who actually takes up that that position or that uh responsibility and i think these are these are some of the myths that it would be quite useful for us to to dispel today because many people assume that their, their nearest and dearest will automatically be able to speak on their behalf to sign documents on their behalf to sell their house to deal with their bank accounts and that's absolutely not the case um, unfortunately, people assume this and, and it leads to them being reluctant to put the power, lasting powers of attorney in place. Um, many people often talk to clients about this and many of them say, you know, we don't need that yet. Uh, that's for when people lose their marbles. You know, we've still got our capacity. We don't need to do it. But it's to ensure that you're protected when most vulnerable. And the people who are best to do that, yes, it's probably going to be your, your spouse, your children close close family and friends but we want to make sure that they're legally empowered to take action 
they might informally be able to look after things and it might be obvious to you that they're the best person to, for the job but the lasting power of attorney gives them that that legal authority to deal with organizations on on your behalf which is quite a powerful document definitely definitely and i think i guess to to look at it from the other side and i know from from experience from speaking to other people while having that power can actually be beneficial for you i think people will have certain concerns about well how much power am i giving away how much control mm. am i also retaining what are the main concerns that you you tend to um, get asked about. Yeah, definitely. It's along those lines. And and that's why I say it's a powerful document, because it's giving someone authority to make a decision while you're still alive. So, so their decisions are going to very much impact your life. You're not giving the keys to your life away to someone else. Now, something that I'm often asked is, will my attorneys be able to confine me to a care home or will they be able to take my money? And I think that's it's almost a misconception. These these documents are based on the concept of best interests and trust. So for starters, you should only ever appoint people that you trust. That that's I think that that goes without saying. The people that you're appointing are going to be close people that you trust to make decisions on your behalf. There are limits on the attorney's authority. So for as long as you have capacity to make decisions yourself you're absolutely the only person who can make those decisions. By signing this document, you're not um, you're not giving away, like I say, giving away the keys to your life. You're not allowing someone else to, to step into your shoes and tell you what to do. It's a tool to support you to make decisions. So if I was to appoint you, Nathan, as my attorney, as long as I have capacity, I can still make all of my own decisions. And Touchwood, you know, it's a funny document because Touchwood, none of my clients ever require them. But if you do, it's invaluable, absolutely invaluable. And I, I would never want someone to feel like they're scared of doing it because someone else might take control of them. That's that's not the way the document is, is designed to work. Yeah. So I think it's very much a case of you can almost picture this as a as a form of insurance. As you said, you know, you hope mm. you never actually need it. But mm. but if the time comes where where you do then require that support and somebody to, to to act in your best interest, then it makes that process much easier for you and also makes it much easier for those around you who naturally want to to care for you. But, you know, without it, wouldn't have that power or wouldn't immediately have that power to look after you. And that can, you know, those delays can have repercussions in themselves. So, I, yeah, I agree. It is really, really important. Um, and I think one of the, the important things to think about from that topic of who you appoint, I imagine, you know, this is things that you talk about to, to your clients a lot is do the attorneys themselves, you know, understand their responsibilities? Do they understand you know what their powers are and rather than just accepting that role making sure that you have spoken to somebody to actually understand what you can and can't do which is one of the the big benefits of having someone such as myself or any solicitor prepare the documents is that we can guide not only yourselves but also your attorneys through the process so normally i would meet with clients in the first instance talk through the process to them discuss family members who who they want to appoint to act and then I will write to the family members as well and provide them with information and guidance on what they can and can't do. But absolutely, it's it's, it's an insurance policy for loss of capacity and, and it gives that peace of mind to loved ones as well as yourself that, that you're protected if, if the worst should happen and, and you lose capacity. Um, another benefit, I suppose, of having a, a solicitor involved is that I can personalise the documents. 
there's a the section within the lasting powers of attorney where you can include preferences for the way that you're treated, your, your health and your welfare, uh, your finance and property, such as preferences for how whether where to be cared for, either at home or in a care home, whether you're a vegetarian, whether you want money to be invested ethically, whether you want a certain bank balance to be retained, whether you want a certain amount of exercise each day. These sorts of decisions which might seem trivial, um, but actually when it comes to your attorneys acting on your behalf, it's very important for them to, to have that information available to them. So I can incorporate that into uh, the documents. Mm, definitely, definitely. And, and so if we think about the, the alternative, so let's say you did lose um, you know, capacity to make decisions for yourself and you hadn't prepared a lasting power of attorney, what, mm. what would happen? So the alternative is a situation that, to be honest, you want to avoid. There is an alternative route, um, but it's more expensive in both time and money. If someone loses capacity and they've not appointed another person to act on their behalf, they've not appointed an attorney to act for them, then no one automatically has authority to act. And there's this period in which their financial affairs are almost paralysed. Now, the alternative process is known as a deputyship application, or it's an application to the Court of Protection. There's a few different ways of saying it, but fundamentally, a lasting power of attorney is, for example, me saying, I trust these people to act on my behalf. There's not too much that's uh, controversial about that because I've got capacity, I'm, I'm giving permission. Whereas with a deputyship application, it's the people that you would have named as your attorneys saying to the court, you know, mum, dad, brother, husband, who, whoever it is, has lost capacity. And I think I'm the best placed person to deal with their affairs. Please, can you give me permission to do that? And whilst it may be obvious to you that you're the closest person to your other half, the court has no idea about your relationship with them. So they have a duty to very much protect someone who's lost capacity. So they ask an awful lot of questions and there's fairly complex application forms. Um, there's an application fee and then there's ongoing annual fees and annual reporting that your deputy would have to um, submit to the court. So it is possible, but you, you have to wait six or seven months normally to get an order from the court that says, yes, this person can deal with the assets of this person. But there's, there's, there's just more limitations and it's more hassle for your family at a time when they really don't want to be jumping through those hoops. And as you said as well, ongoing, it's much more onerous for, for the deputy than it yeah. is if you had a, an attorney already appointed. So that, yes. that's another big difference, which, you know, that could last for many, many years. Absolutely. I, I think one point I didn't mention earlier as well is that there are two types of lasting power of attorney. So in the situation I've just described where you're applying to the court to say that you're the best person to look after the person who's lost capacity, so you're applying to be their deputy, you normally only get control over finances and property. With lasting powers of attorney, there are two types of document. There's one that deals with finance and property, and there's one that deals with health and welfare. So without going into too much detail, they do roughly what they say in the tin. The finance and property is to do with bank accounts, HMRC, DWP, um, financial advisors such as yourself. And the health and welfare LPA deals with the more personal 
aspects of life. So medication, consent to operations, where you're living, your daily routines, such as what you're wearing, you know, when you're dressed, showered, fed, those sorts of more personal decisions. Yeah, so that that, that is, again, another another benefit which only comes from actually planning ahead and rather than just relying on and waiting you know if that situation ever arises you know it is better to plan ahead and have those things in place i think the other thing maybe to touch upon is you know how how joint assets and joint accounts uh, are treated i think you know, mm. it, it's very common for for a couple to to have a joint bank account and also the property as well held jointly and so again you know what implications would would arise if, if one of them was to lose capacity and they didn't have a, a, a powers of attorney document in place? Mm. That, that's a question that sometimes comes up as well, or people think that they don't need the document because they own it jointly. And I think to some extent, yes, having a joint bank account does, it does mitigate the risk to some extent because both joint account holders can access the money. And in the same way that if one person was to was to die, the other would have access to the money still. And the same with incapacity. With a joint account, you can in some ways get around that. The place that you'll fall down is with assets such as property, so houses. In order to deal with them, you would then have to apply to the court to get their permission to sell the property. It wouldn't simply be the case that, that one one person could sign on behalf of another and the land registry wouldn't accept the documents uh, anyway. So joint accounts are, are, yes, a way that you can, I suppose, assist someone and, and prevent against the risk of, of losing capacity to some extent. Uh, but I don't think that that's a suitable alternative to doing lasting powers of attorney because it only assists in that small part of someone's life. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, a foolproof kind of option, really. And and sometimes I, sometimes people might not want to have joint accounts or, mm. or they may have separate accounts. Perhaps they have separate savings. You know, it could be a, a second relationship. They want to keep their money separate. They might have a joint account for household expenses and that could, you know, tied you over but they may have then private or, or sole accounts um, that that won't be able to be accessed by the, the partner yeah mm. and um you know I, i'm sure there's going to be people listening to this who maybe are somewhat familiar with the concept of powers of attorney probably because they they have um, an enduring power of attorney already in place i wonder if you could elaborate a bit more on on the differences and and some of the the benefits of of a lasting power of attorney compared to to a, an older style enduring power of attorney yeah sure so there's there's i suppose twofold differences the first obvious difference is that an enduring power of attorney relates purely to finances and property and it doesn't give anyone authority to deal with the more personal health and care decisions whereas with lasting powers of attorney you've got the two types that's that's one of the main differences and sometimes i get clients that come in and say we've got an enduring power of attorney but so we'd just like to do a health and welfare lasting power of attorney. And, and that can work too. It does lead me on to the next difference though, and it's, it's quite a crucial one, is the date at which the documents become active and at which point they are registered and effective. Lasting powers of attorney are usually registered as soon as they're made. So I might sit down with clients, we'll sign the documents, send it off to the attorneys for them to sign as soon as it comes back to me. I'll then send it off to be registered. And when I say registered, I mean registered with the Office of the Public Guardian. That's the public body that 
regulates this this type of work. And that's and, essentially a check to make sure, you know, everything's in order. There's not yes. been any, you know, Undue pressure influence or, or yeah. influence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's where I would say the enduring power of attorney falls down slightly because it's as soon as it's signed, it can be used, but there's no record. There's no public record. There's no um, regulation of its use. So as soon as the document exists, it can be used. And the slight danger to that um, is that there's there's no one monitoring the use of the document. With an enduring power of attorney, you don't register it until the donor is losing capacity. So there's rarely there's rarely an instance where on one day someone has capacity and on the next day they don't. But as someone moves into later life and they start to lose capacity or, or perhaps are diagnosed in early stages with something such as dementia, at that point, the document needs to be registered. But then you have a window of three to four months where there's this ambiguity as to whether or not someone has capacity, who's entitled to, to make decisions on their behalf. And a lasting power of attorney, because it's registered at the point of creation, you eliminate that period of, of purgatory I suppose where you're unsure you're neither one place or another yeah no that 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 makes sense so to, to wrap up really I mean what would be some of the the key take-home messages that that you would say to people who maybe haven't actually heard of a lasting power of attorney until today or, or have mm. thought about it and and decided that it isn't something they need to really look into now I guess what is what's the main what's the main messages or, or tips even that you'd you'd kind of suggest people think about I, I think the main one is to have that conversation. Now, mm. I deal with, you know, I deal with wills, I deal with lasting powers of attorney. So to put it bluntly, I deal with, you know, death and capacity day in, day out. So I don't mind having those difficult conversations with clients. What I sometimes find is that people haven't had those difficult conversations within the families. And I really think it's important to talk to each other about how you would want to be cared for if these and unfortunate situations arise. And with an aging population, there is an increasing number of cases where we, we need these documents in place. Now, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. I suppose the, the take home message I'd say is that lasting powers of attorney are an insurance policy against the, the risk of losing capacity. And it can give you and family the peace of mind that it's all dealt with. Now, I hope that no clients ever require the documents, but if they do and they're in place, it makes things so much easier for family at a time when perhaps they don't want to be going through the the uncertainty of dealing with someone such as myself um, trying to apply to the court and worried about what they can and can't do. I think probably give some thought about who you would want to appoint to act on your behalf, who you who you trust to make those decisions, and that will probably put you, you know, that will that will put you a good way down the road to. To getting the documents in place yeah i think i think they are some really really useful tips and as you said just starting off by having that conversation is a is a big step likewise i see it quite a lot with people because things like money you know a lot of people still aren't comfortable talking about that to children to yes. yeah. whoever it might be it's it's uh, i don't know if it's a british thing or uh, a generational thing it's it, it could be anything really um but but yeah, it is something which is is difficult and no one really wants to think about, you know, how things might change in the future, which might be potentially negative. Um, so it is difficult, but it does afford you a lot of protection and peace of mind once you've done that. Um, and I guess the other thing I, I 
is important is to think about is you know when it comes to lasting powers attorney as i understand it you know you you can make these yourself online i i i you know i would always stress if you don't know what you're doing or you're unsure at the very least talk to somebody who does yes i i i very much second that and yes you can do them on online uh, in the same way that you can do many things you know yourself online but mm. i i wouldn't build a brick wall because i can hire someone that knows how to do it and does it day in day out and they can do it for me you know i wouldn't fix my car because yes i could go on youtube and figure out how but i don't know anything about it so yes you can make them online and if you feel comfortable doing that i think the main message is do it get it in place if you've got any doubts or you need to discuss it or you think your affairs are complicated in any way at all speak to someone that can such as myself who can who can help you out and, and guide you through the process that's it that's it and you know you have to be so careful with that process making sure that you do things correctly and you would have seen numerous examples probably where people have done themselves and actually there are errors which meant that they are invalid essentially and mm. so when you when you thought you had that 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 document there and that that protection in place you find that that it isn't um mm -hmm. so so no I, I i do agree so no that that's brilliant thanks um thanks very much for joining us this afternoon josh um i hope everyone listening has found the conversation useful um of course if you have any questions then do get in touch um and we look forward to having you on the next episode of in the know